Section 15 of Happy Days. This is the LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Happy Days by A. A. Milne. Section 15. A Breath of Life. This is the story of a comedy which nearly became a tragedy. In its way, it is rather a pathetic story. The comedy was called The Wooing of Winifred. It was written by an author whose name I forget, produced by the well-known and, as his press agent has often told us, popular actor-manager, Mr. Levinsky, and played by, among others, that very charming young man, Prosper Vane, known locally as Alfred Briggs, until he took to the stage. Prosper played the young hero, Dick Seaton, who was actually wooing Winifred. Mr. Levinsky himself took the part of a middle-aged man of the world with a slight embonpoint down in the program as Sir Geoffrey Throssell, but fortunately still Mr. Levinsky. His opening words as he came on were, "'Ah, Dick, I have a note for you somewhere,' which gave the audience an interval in which to welcome him, while he felt in all his pockets for the letter." One can bow quite easily while feeling in one's pockets, and it is much more natural than stopping in the middle of an important speech in order to acknowledge any cheers. The realization of this by a dramatist is what is called stagecraft. In this case, the audience could tell at once that the technique of the author, whose name, unfortunately, I forget, was going to be all right. But perhaps I had better describe the whole play as shortly as possible. The theme, as one guessed from the title, even before the curtain rose, was the wooing of Winifred. In the first act, Dick proposed to Winifred and was refused by her, not from lack of love, but for fear lest she might spoil his career, he being one of those big-hearted men with a hip pocket to whom the open spaces of the world call loudly. Whereupon Mr. Levinsky took Winifred on one side and told the audience how, when he had been a young man, some good woman had refused him for a similar reason, and had been miserable ever since. Accordingly, in the second act, Winifred withdrew her refusal and offered to marry Dick, who declined to take advantage of her offer for fear that she was willing to marry him from pity rather than from love. Whereupon Mr. Levinsky took Dick on one side and told the audience how, when he had been a young man, he had refused to marry some good woman, a different one, for a similar reason, and had been broken-hearted ever afterwards. In the third act it really seemed as though they were coming together at last, for at the beginning of it Mr. Levinsky took them both aside and told the audience a parable about a butterfly and a snapdragon, which was both pretty and helpful, and caused several middle-aged ladies in the first and second rows of the upper circle to say, what a nice man Mr. Levinsky must be at home, dear, the purport of the allegory being to show that both Dick and Winifred were being very silly, as indeed by this time everybody but the author was aware. Unfortunately, at that moment a footman entered with a telegram for Miss Winifred, which announced that she had been left fifty thousand pounds by a dead uncle in Australia, and although Mr. Levinsky seized his fresh opportunity to tell the audience how, in similar circumstances, pride— to his lasting remorse, had kept him and some good woman, a third one, apart. Nevertheless, Dick held back once more, for fear lest he should be thought to be marrying her for her money. The curtain comes down as he says, 
Goodbye, goodbye. But there is a fourth act, and in the fourth act Mr. Levinsky has a splendid time. He tells the audience two parables, one about a dahlia and a sheep, which I couldn't quite follow, and three reminiscences of life in India. He brings together finally and forever these hesitating lovers, and, best of all, he has a magnificent love scene of his own with a pretty woman, in which we see, for the first time in the play, how love should really be made. Not boy and girl pretty, pretty love, but the deep emotion felt, and with occasional lapses of memory explained, by a middle-aged man with a slight embonpoint who has knocked about the world a bit and knows life. Mr. Levinsky, I need hardly say, was at his best in this act. I met Prosper Vane at the club some ten days before the first night, and asked him how the rehearsals were going. "'Oh, all right,' he said, "'but it's a rotten play. I've got such a dashed silly part.' "'From what you told me,' I said, "'it sounded rather good. "'It's so dashed unnatural. For three whole acts, this girl and I are in love with each other, and we know we're in love with each other, and yet we simply fooled about. She's a dashed pretty girl, too, my boy. In real life, I'd jolly soon. My dear Alfred, I protested. You're not going to fall in love with the girl you have to fall in love with on stage. I thought actors never did that. They do sometimes. It's a dashed good advertisement. Anyway, it's a silly part, and I'm fed up with it. Yes, but do be reasonable. If Dick got engaged at once to Winifred, what would happen to Levinsky? He'd have nothing to do. Prosper Vane grunted. As he seemed disinclined for further conversation, I left him. The opening night came, and the usual distinguished and fashionable audience, including myself, such as habitually attends Mr. Levinsky's first nights, settled down to enjoy itself. Two acts went well. At the end of each, Mr. Levinsky came before the curtain and bowed to us, and we had the honor of clapping him loud and long. Then the third act began. Now this is how the third act ends. Exit Sir Geoffrey, Winifred, breaking the silence. Dick, you heard what he said. Don't let this silly money come between us. I have told you I love you, my dear. Won't you, won't you speak to me? Dick, Winifred, I... He gets up and walks around the room, his brow dotted, his right fist occasionally striking his left palm. Finally he comes to a stand in front of her. Winifred, I... He raises his arms slowly at right angles to his body and lets them fall heavily down again. I can't. In a low, hoarse voice, I can't. He stands for a moment with bent head, then with a jerk he pulls himself together. Goodbye. His hands go out to her, but he draws them back as if frightened to touch her. Nobly. Good Burai. He squares his shoulders and stands looking at the audience with his chin in the air, then with a shrug of utter despair, which would bring tears into the eyes of any young thing in the pit, he turns and, with bent head, walks slowly out. Curtain. That is how the third act ends. I went to the dress rehearsal, and so I know. How the accident happened, I do not know. I suppose Prosper was nervous. I am sure he was very much in love. Anyhow, this is how, on that famous first night, the third act ended. Exit Sir Geoffrey. Winifred, breaking the silence. Dick, you heard what he said. Don't let this silly money come between us. I have told you I love you, dear. Won't you, won't you speak to me? Dick, jumping up. Winifred, I, with a great gulp. I love you. 
whereupon he picked her up in his arms and carried her triumphantly off the stage, and after a little natural hesitation the curtain came down. Behind the scenes all was consternation. Mr. Levinsky, absolutely furious, had a hasty consultation with the author, also furious, in the course of which they both saw that the fourth act, as written, was now an impossibility. Poor Prosper, who had almost immediately recovered his sanity, tremblingly suggested that Mr. Levinsky should announce that, owing to the sudden illness of Mr. Vane, the fourth act could not be given. Mr. Levinsky was kind enough to consider this suggestion not entirely stupid, his own idea having been, very regretfully, to leave out the two parables and three reminiscences from India and concentrate on the love scene with the widow. "'Yes, yes,' he said, "'your plan is better. I will say you are ill. It is true. You are mad. Tomorrow we will play it as it was written.' "'You can't,' said the author gloomily. The critics won't come till the fourth act, and they assume that the third act ended as it did tonight. The fourth act will seem all nonsense to them. True, and I was so good, so much myself in that act, he turned to Prosper. You fool! Or there's another way, began the author. You might... And then a gentleman in the gallery settled it from the front of the curtain. There was nothing in the program to show that the play was in four acts. The time is the present day, and the scene is in Sir Geoffrey Thorzel's own house, was all it said, and the gentleman in the gallery thinking it was all over, and being pleased with the play, and particularly with the realism of the last moment, shouted, Author! And suddenly everyone else cried, Author! Author! The play was ended. I said that this was the story of a comedy which nearly became a tragedy, but it turned out to be no tragedy at all. In the three acts to which Prosper Vane had condemned it, the play appealed to both critics and public, for the fourth act, as he recognized so clearly, was unnecessary and would have spoilt the balance of it entirely. Best of all, the shortening of the play demanded that some entertainment should be provided in front of it, and this enabled Mr. Levinsky to introduce to the public Professor Wolabola Cola and Princess Colabola Wola, the famous exponents of the Bongo Bongo, that fascinating Central African war dance, which was soon to be the rage of society. But though, as a result, the takings of the box office surpassed all Mr. Levinsky's previous records, our friend Prosper Vane received no practical acknowledgment of his services. He had to be content with the hand and heart of the young lady who played Winifred, and the fact that Mr. Levinsky was good enough to attend the wedding. There was, in fact, a photograph in all the papers of Mr. Levinsky doing it. End of section 15